0: Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you that your son is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Savior. And Lord, this morning we bow our knee to you as the choir just sang. We're reminded, Lord, that uh, in a day in which we live when things do not make sense, two plus two no longer equals four, we know that you are in charge. And we rest in that. Reminded of Paul's words in Romans, who has known your mind? (laughs) Who has been your counselor? You don't need an instructor. You don't need a cliff notes. You know all things. You are before time, you are in time, and you are after time. And we thank you and we praise you. Father, guide us as we go to the text today. As we look at a familiar scene, just, uh, Lord, help us to see this with fresh eyes as we examine your word, and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. We have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. We have a Welcome Here table. It's got a clever title, Welcome Here. And we would love to get to know you. Uh, But uh, we've been moving through the Gospel of Luke, and it's so apropos as we enter the Passion Week, as we enter Palm Sunday, and then as we look at uh, Good Friday with the Crucifixion and the Resurrection so, Luke 21, or 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, this is the upper room here. We're jumping back just a bit because it fits with the text we're going to see. Satan has demanded to have you all sifted like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter says, Ah, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times or denied three times that you know me. Many years ago when I was in college, a group of us were uh, out at a, there was a street vendor there and he was doing the, the shell game. You know, the three shells and there's a pea. And we're standing there watching and this moron can't seem to get it right. and He's wasting all his money. Was like, it's very obvious what he's doing. Of course I was being set up didn't realize it of course being a good college student think I had all the answers I said well it's very clear what's happening here and my friend said really I said oh yeah I got this so I laid $20 down on the on the desk and I said it's that or on the table I said it's that shell right there and that was the fastest $20 I ever lost <laughs> I was conned and, and, and I learned one lesson in the, the, in the midst of my confidence that I had it all together. I learned one valuable lesson, and that is never, ever play the shell game. <laughs> Don't play, you will be beat every time. Indeed, you've got Peter here who thinks he's got it all together, doesn't he? Ah, I'm with you. This, this ringleader of the disciples, the so called rock the one who stated he would never forsake the lord is extremely overconfident and ultimately he's wrong this scene as we're going to move into the latter part or move into the next section of verse starting in verse 54 it's laced with it's laced with bitterness it's laced with betrayal it's laced with sadness and pain And yet, despite Peter's failures, as we're going to see here, Jesus will extend forgiveness and restoration. And so you, you have the scene that we just read where Simon is declaring his confidence. I got this. Here's the $20. I'll pick the right shell. And we see turning to go to 22, verse 54. Jesus is now arrested. It says they led him away, verse 54 of chapter 22. Brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. Here he is. Remember, he pulled the sword out, took off Malchus's ear at the garden. He's the man in charge. When they had, so he thinks, and made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them then a slave girl seeing him as he sat at the fire light stared at him I love that word she's looking intently the term has the idea of of evaluating she says this man was with him as well but Peter denied it woman I, I don't know him that is Jesus then a little later someone saw him and said you're one of them as well but Peter said man I am not and after that an hour still another insisted certainly this man was with him because he too is a Galilean but Peter said man I don't know what you're talking about Matthew Mark said he he lets out profanity some would argue he cursed this one they're looking that they think he's associated with that is Jesus and at that moment while he was still speaking a rooster crowed the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said to him before a rooster crows today you will deny me three times and he went outside and he wept bitterly let's go back and let's look at this declaration of you know confidence I can handle this starting at verse 31 let's unpack this, let's look at this you've got your notes, you can follow along The whole scene is the upper room. It's Jesus with his disciples. And in verse 31, he repeats Simon's name. So, in other words, sit up and take nourishment. This is very important. It's not a verily, verily. Simon, Simon, right? And it's also interesting because he normally refers to him as Peter. The last time in Luke's gospel he referred to Simon is when he changed his name. And he called him. It's always Peter until this scene, which is intriguing, and he says, Satan is going to sift, not just you, Peter, but the entire group, the band of brothers, the 12. The term refers to picking apart. <laughs> uh, some, uh, he, Satan is, is going to m- maneuver in this. The request reminds me of, remember Job? The Lord told Satan that Job was his. His. And and the Lord allowed Satan to sift Job. And he says, the only thing I ask is you're not going to take Job's life. In Job 2, verse 6. Satan, well, the Lord, allows such situations to occur. This is intriguing. To bring us to a point to recognize the glory of God and our dependence on him. As we go through this sermon this morning, you're going to see a group that needed to be sifted. One scholar writes, Satan may be portrayed as acting with the permission of God or as an unwitting instrument of God, but in either case, he, Satan, fulfills fulfills what God wants. One must therefore be careful to avoid exaggerating power of Satan and setting up a dichotomy between God and Satan would suggest a particular action must be attributed to either one. He says, these alternatives are not mutually exclusive. And I think he's right. Satan is God's adversary, yes. But whatever Satan does falls under the overarching sovereignty of God. We talked about this last week. Who's in charge at the garden, at the arrest, and even on the cross? Who's in charge? No one takes Jesus' life. He says, I give up my life. He's the one who declared it's finished. And so as we move through here, watch who's in charge. Even Satan is not allowed to operate outside the parameters of what God has set forth. And notice what happens. Look at what Jesus states to Simon in verse 32. For I've prayed for you. I'm gonna, he says, that your faith may not fail. There's going to be failure. The Lord knows that. He talked about the rooster crowing, right? He knows that this is going to happen. But there's still forgiveness, as we're going to see here. And so we see, first of all, what does Jesus state to Peter? I'm praying for that your faith will hold out. Ultimately, Satan does not succeed in destroying Peter. Because, why? Jesus is interceding. Satan, again, can only act within the confines of what God has allowed. Jesus is, and, and he's certain of the outcome, because notice what he says. I'm praying for you that your faith, and when you have turned back, which implies what? He will turn back. It is gonna occur, and God is gonna offer forgiveness. He knows, God knows our failures, and still extends to us his gracious hand one Puritan writer states, Our Father is simply inclined to forgive. What distinguishes him from all invented gods and from all of humanity is that our Father is simply inclined to forgive. He's eager to forgive at the slightest hint that we acknowledge our sin and our guilt. And so the Lord prays to, for Peter's faith to withstand. Notice what he doesn't pray for Peter. Just to catch that in the text. He does not pray that Peter is spared from testing. That's what I would have requested. <laughs> oh Lord, you're going to pray for me. Uh, let's add that to the list, right? Put that in there. Mm-mm. It doesn't excuse Peter's sin, but ultimately it lets us know that the Lord is allowing the temptation to transpire. And notice then in the and through this whole process, verse thirty-two. What is Peter? What's the command? And when you've survived all this, strengthen your brothers. Sadly, Peter will miss this. In John 21, Luke doesn't record this scene, but John 21, Christ just rose from the dead, and Peter says, what does he say at night? I'm going to go fishing. Fishing? You should be strengthening the brothers. The brothers go with Peter because they're concerned about him as he goes fishing at night because, I I would argue, he he believes he's through and yet, God extends grace in that beautiful scene nestled in John 21. The good news is, in John 21, Jesus er, does restore Peter, doesn't he? Jesus asks him, Do you love me more than these? And I don't think he's referring to, Do you love me more than the disciples love me? Because nowhere in Scripture are we asked to compare our love, devotion to the Lord, to others. No, what he's asking is, Do you love me more than the fish industry? I called you to be fishers of men, not a fisher of fish. What, what are you doing here? This is what I called you to do. In fact, I told you, I prayed for you that you would strengthen the brothers. You're licking your wounds. And they're here trying to help you because they're concerned. And I love it because Peter, he gets it in John 21. And what do we see? Him leading the church, don't we? And in 2 Peter, he uses the word that's used here, strengthen your brothers. It only appears two places in the New Testament. Here and in 2 Peter. Peter writes reminding the saints the truths of the scriptures so that they might be established or strengthened. There it is. He's learning his lesson. First and second Peter are glorious in light of, of seeing this uh, rebel rouser, this foot in the mouth kind of a guy in uh, the Gospels. I just love it. And so he, he moves these trials and temptations of life which the Lord is allowing for Peter is so that he can better serve the Lord. And as we move through this life and trials and testings come the lord allows us wise so that we can serve him it's so that we can be a finer instrument to exalt the name of the lord and recognize our dependence on him last year i was sick of this ugly crab tree in the front of our yard it's a disgusting thing I could cut it down if I I should just cut it down but anyway I thought no I'm going to prune that sucker back so bad it's going to look awful but that's what we're doing and you know by spring that thing looks so nice I couldn't believe it even my neighbor said what would you do to your tree I said well I pruned the dickens out of it and, and at times that's what the Lord needs to do for us doesn't he He needs to prune and so that we can prosper, we can move. And and the great news is, just as he interceded for Peter, he's interceding for those of us who claim the name of the Lord. Right? He does the same for us. Romans 8. Who is to be condemned? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes. Who has raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us. Don't you love that? This week, one of some friends of ours was saying that their daughter who... uh, is we uh, had her first nightmare. And he said, all through the night, then she expected me to, to lay by her holding her hand. That's what the Lord does for us. He intercedes for us. Robert Murray Machane stated, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That's the promise of Romans 8. In the midst of the trials, the Lord is interceding for you, just as he did for Peter. He knew what Peter was going to do, and yet he's still interceding for him, just as he did for Peter. Well, in verse 33, you have this great declaration. Here's the confidence. Here's him laying down the $20 bill, right? He says, oh, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and even to death. You will, Peter. Peter. You will go to prison in the book of Acts and according to church tradition, you'll be crucified upside down. You will die for the cause of Christ. So thank you for your declaration. <laughs> but in the process, there's some refining we need to do, Peter, with you as we move along. And Jesus unfortunately tells him, yeah, there's a problem here, Peter. Peter even boasts, we don't see this here in Luke's gospel, but if you look at Matthew and Mark, Peter even boasts that even if the other disciples fall away, not me. In fact, it's emphatic in Matthew. I will never fall away. And what does Jesus say? Mm, Yes, you will. In fact, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And the, the proof of the pudding will be when the rooster crows, as you see there in your notes. We know in Palestine in the first century that the rooster would crow around 3 a.m. This is when the the light started to change. In fact, the Romans had three watches and the third watch was called the crow of the roosters, which was from 12 midnight until 3 a.m. And and it ended with the crow or the crow of the rooster. And so the idea here is that this is around 3 a.m. We know that eventually by morning, by 6 a.m., Jesus is taken to Pilate. And so you have this idea. You realize the crow of a rooster, I was looking this up, just little trivia for this morning. You realize it's louder than a vacuum cleaner or a food blender or a garbage disposal? I thought that was rather shocking. 90 decibels. In fact, in 2013, they did some research about the crowing of a rooster. You want to jot this down. This is very helpful to note. It it says that in their little pea brain, they, they have A monitor. They know within 23.8 hours that they need to crow. It's wired in their brain. (laughs) I thought, that's great. So anyway, it's not about the crowing, though, is it? I just thought that was very helpful. Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, the rooster's going to crow, and that's not the real issue. The real issue, of course, is you're going to deny, deny me, and you're going to do it three times. The word denying here is loaded. It's the opposite of confessing. In other words, it's a refusal to worship God. Peter, again, was going to fail. The Lord knew that. But the Lord will still extend grace, forgiveness, and restoration. And that's what we see. Let's move then to verse 54, because that's what we see here in the text. They arrest Jesus, the text tells us. And he's taken to the high priest's house. Now this is a little confusing because if we look at the other gospel writers, we don't know if it's Annas or it's Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the official high priest at the time of Jesus. We're going to look at that scene next week with the trials that go on or I shouldn't they're not really a trial the hearings the the religious rulers are trying to get enough dirt on Jesus so that when they bring him to Pilate they got their story straight and they got enough data to fry him that's what they're seeking to do and so if we sift through the gospels it appears that we go to Anna's house first after Jesus is taken from the garden of gethsemane He's also referred to as high priest. And you go, wait a minute, you can't have two high priests. Well, you need to know something about Annas. (laughs) Five of his, he served as high priest. Five of his sons will serve as high priest. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, will serve as high priest. And his grandson will serve as high priest. In other words, he's one very powerful dude. And similar to the U.S., if we had George W. Bush here, we we would refer to him as Mr. President. He's not the current sitting president, but he still has the title. And some would argue that's the case with the high priest. Some Jews argued that the Torah stated the high priest position was for life. And for them, Annas still was the high priest. Regardless, it's not a surprise we go to Annas' house first. Then we'll take him to Caiaphas. Because Annas is really the one calling all the shots. So is this Annas' house? Is it Annas and Caiaphas' home? We don't know. But nonetheless, we're taken to this home, uh, undoubtedly in the wealthy part of the upper city of Jerusalem. And the question, of course, is how did Peter get into the house, into the courtyard area? Why did they let him in in the first place? I can understand dragging Jesus in. He's been arrested. Uh, But how, how do you get... Uh, Peter in? John tells us in John 18, 15, that John, the apostle, gets in and he helps Peter get in to the courtyard. You say, well, how did John get in? Well, either he's known by the priestly family, maybe he's the, you know, the Zebedee and company provided the fish for the family up from Galilee, or some have argued that John is from a priestly family. Either way, Caiaphas Annas' family know John's family and that's what got us into the courtyard area notice what the text tells us they brought him into the high priest's home Peter was following from a distance fear timid you fill in the blanks remember this is just the guy who said I'll die for you and now you're following from a distance now he did pick up a sword give them credit there, right? And it says in verse 55, when they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard, this would have been with coal, uh, enough at least to give some heat. It's still spring. It's cool at night. And we also need a little bit of light that it would give off. And and we're told that Peter, it's interesting, Matthew, Mark says he stands, and then eventually, look what Luke tells us, he sat down with them. The question of is, who is them? It's the entourage that came and arrested Jesus most likely that are there and then we're told that a slave girl sees him sitting at the firelight John tells us this girl was the doorkeeper Uh, Keener states a doorkeeper's responsibility was to ask a visitor's identity especially when one came at night and to observe who entered and exited the premises Annas and Caiaphas are very important people. Traffic flow would have been heavy anytime, but especially now with what's transpiring. Indeed, Keener writes, even after entrance, anyone found in the house and that was not recognized as one of the servants might be asked to identify themselves. And so this doorkeeper, this slave, looks over and says, wait a minute, I think I know you. Luke does not portray this as much as the other gospel writers. She asks, are you the one? Here it's more of a statement. But it's clear in the other gospel writers that she doesn't know whether or not he is Peter. You see, in Greek, you can tell by the grammatical construction if the speaker expects an answer that's positive or an answer that is negative. For instance, if I say, uh, I did see you at the grocery store yesterday, didn't I? I'm expecting you to say Yes. Here, this little maid servant is expecting no, and yet Peter freaks out. <laughs> the guilty flee when no one pursues this idea, and, and he's, he's nervous as a tick. And, and, and notice his response. I don't know him. It, it, it's brief. It's quick. He can't get out of there fast enough. Matthew tells us after this, he leaves the, the fire and goes over to the porch where it's a little bit darker away from the crowd oh luke 12 9 whoever denies me before men and women i also will deny my father you before my father who is in heaven peter peter what do you mean you don't know him you deny it's a lie you do know him not only have you abandoned the lord you you lied in the process And what's interesting, the phrase he uses is the same phrase that's used to banish Jews from the synagogue in the first century. I mean, it is almost a curse. He will get to a curse at the third denial. It's not a soldier that's approached Peter. It's not a ruler of the Sanhedrin. It's not some other leader that's present. No, it's a servant girl. (laughs) And, and what a contrast with Christ who's appearing before the Sanhedrin at this very moment. He does not flinch. But Peter does. And that leads us to the second denial. Notice what happens. Just look at this text. Oh, it's where it gets good. It just it continues to escalate. Then a little later, someone saw him and said, you're one of them as well? But Peter said, man, I... Notice he refers to him as man. Now it's, it's a male. Now the gospel writers are... That one says it's it's the servant girl who asks again, but I think the servant girl is saying, "Wait a minute, guys, isn't that Peter? Or isn't that one of the, the folks that we saw with Jesus?" And so the the pot is getting stirred, right? And and Jesus, of course, denies that he had any doing with this one, right? I, no, no, he says, I, "I I'm not." So the denial, the situation grows. And by the third denial, here we have the, that says they are insistent. Now it's clear. Ah, certainly this man was with him, because he too is a Galilean. It's interesting, it says that someone else comes, another person delivers this. John tells us who the another is. Get this. In John 18:26, it's one of the high priest's servants who was a relative of Malchus. <laughs> The guy's ear that Peter cut off, this is his relative. Oops. Yeah, I know who he is. He took off my relative's ear. Cousin George took it off. I know who he is, right? And so the questioning has escalated. And Galilean here is is very derogatory. Those that lived in Jerusalem thought they were a little bit more sophisticated than those from the, the north up in Galilee. Those were the backward bumpkins, in fact, how did they know he was a Galilean? From his accent. <clears throat> Matthew even tells us. They knew he was a Galilean from his accent. He spoke with a twang. He didn't speak like us sophisticated folk who live in the big city, right, of Jerusalem. And so you've got this, this oh, it's just great. You just love what's happening here. Uh, and this tension that's growing. And Peter then it tells us that he makes this curse. He said, man, I do not know who you're talking about. Peter made the declaration that Jesus was the son of God. He made a declaration he had left everything to follow Jesus and that he would never forsake Jesus, even willing going to prison and to die, as we saw earlier in this chapter. And yet, in all three of these denials, Peter couldn't even mention Jesus' name. Wow. And the text says, at that moment, I mean, it's like... The music starts, right? It's not a coincidence. This was a direct fulfillment of what the Lord said Peter would do. Peter, Jesus is in charge. He knows all things. The text tells us that Jesus turned and looked straight at him. How did he see him? Was Jesus being transferred at this moment to Caiaphas' house? Uh, was there a window through the portico? We don't know. The point is that Jesus knew That Peter had fulfilled what he, the horrible prophecy that he would deny. Verse sixty-two it says that Peter went outside, and he wept bitterly. The man who always had a word for every occasion does not speak. (laughs) the The phrase wept bitterly is used nowhere in the New Testament. A weeping is, even at in Luke's gospel, we see weeping at a, a funeral. But weeping bitterly is uncontrollable. It's intense emotions. Peter's devastated. This one who said, oh, I got this. I know which shell it's under. It's that one. <laughs> no, you don't, Peter. What do you do with this text? I've got three things there in your notes. The first of these is failure to see the urgency surrounding temptation Results in spiritual complacency and self reliance. Three times Jesus announced his suffering. Three times Peter did not heed Jesus' urgent appeal to watch, stay awake, and pray in the garden. And three times thus, he will end up denying his Savior. Sin just didn't happen that first night there or that night for the first time with Peter. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's been a series of events. just, let me rehearse these. Peter felt he was better than the disciples. Remember this? If everyone else falls away, I got it, Lord. You can count on me. Opportunities, perhaps, that he had had being uh, given, privy to the transfiguration, the raising of Jairus' daughter. Perhaps he thought that's why he had it all together. Maybe it was the healing of his mother-in-law. I don't know. But Peter thought he was the cat's meow. Mistake one. Two, he boasted of his allegiance to the Lord. Peter, have you forgotten who you are? (laughs) Don't you remember in Luke 5, verse 9, when you hold up that net full of fish? What did you tell Jesus? Depart from me. I'm not worthy of you. Have you forgotten that? That was back in chapter 5. Now we're in chapter 22, and you seem to forget. He relied on his own strength and I would argue he ran ahead of the Lord. Being a strong type A personality Peter often was leading rather than following. And that's a problem when it comes to the Lord. When Peter refuted the notion that Jesus was going to have to suffer, remember that scene right before the transfiguration? What did Jesus say to Peter? Satan, get behind me. Oops. When the transfiguration occurred and Peter speaks up let's build three booze this is it God has to say Peter be quiet (laughs) and Peter refused to have his feet washed by Jesus remember that scene oh no and then when he realized what it was all about he says wash all of me oh Peter you're relying on your own strength you're running ahead of the Lord you're not trusting in the Lord and that's the danger isn't it because it will lead to sin it always does resting, waiting on the Lord. Peter followed from a distance. He's quasi there. Peter sat with the servants. Why are you sitting with those people around the fire in the first place? They're the ones who arrested the Lord. Reminds me of Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. Why why are you doing that? You have no business there. He not only denies Jesus, the text tells us and other gospel writers that he curses Jesus. In other words, there's a pattern in Peter's life. He failed to recognize that the danger that lay before him, and similar to the episode of the attempt to walk on water, he failed to keep his eyes on his Savior. The Lord knew Peter needed to be sifted. (laughs) The Lord needed a man who would walk humbly before him. And that's what he asked of us, to walk humbly before our God. John Broger writes, As an obedient believer, you are to stand firm in the strength of the Lord, to be sober in spirit, and to remain alert in order to resist the schemes of the devil. However, in all areas of your walk as a believer, you are incapable to do it in your own strength. He's dead on. Here's the good news if you know Christ as your Savior, you got the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe is happening in Romans 7. Paul said, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I should do, I don't do. What's the solution? Romans 8. It's the Holy Spirit and all that the Lord has done. And, and John goes on to write, Insufficient your own resources to overcome the wiles and temptations of Satan. Therefore, you must put on the full armor of God to be an overwhelming conqueror in your continuing spiritual battle. Have you bent your knee before the Lord, your Savior, the one who has delivered you from sin? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day. If you know Christ as your Savior, then I ask, you who call yourself a follower of Christ, how's your tongue, your pocketbook, your social media postings, your thought life? Are they telling a different story? Peter thought he had it all together. Careful. (laughs) And the Lord said, no, you don't and we've got a lot of rough edges I need to knock off of you so I'm going to allow the Lord to sift you Peter Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 listen to this like obedient children do not comply with the evil urges you used to follow in your ignorance but like the holy one who called you become holy yourselves in all of your conduct for it is written you shall be holy because I am holy isn't that great 1st Peter by the way is called the Epistle of Grace. <laughs> oh, there there you read just do a little study. Look at 1st Peter and 2nd Peter in light of Peter of the Gospels. God has chipped off a lot of rough edges by the time we get to 1st and 2nd Peter. The one who thought he had it all and he failed to see the urgency of the temptation. Secondly, no matter how dark the hour may be, our Savior is in complete control. I mean, think about this. Nothing can come as a surprise to our Savior. There are no divine peekaboos. The Lord knows. He's in charge. Nothing can thwart the plan of our God. There are no detours, no cancellations, and nothing can hinder the love of our Savior We must not lose sight of the love of God. I mean, every day is Valentine's Day. His love for us doesn't change. He loved us before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1. In the magnificent little work by John Owen, The Mortification of Sin. If you've not read that Puritan's work, The Mortification of Sin, you must. It's, it's the top 10 reads in Christendom. He says, he provides this profound word of advice. Seek to keep your heart in a continual awe of the majesty of God. Isn't that great? Continue to seek your, seek to keep your heart in a continual awe of the majesty of God. Peter missed that. It was on him. Look what I can do. Oh, Lord, I got this. We'll take care of this. Give me a sword. I got this. No, you don't. And so, no matter how dark the hour may be, our Savior is in complete control. Second Peter 3, the same guy writes, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. Hmm. And third, Peter's restoration. And hang in with me, don't miss this point, reminds us that our past failures do not nullify the usefulness in the future or that our relationship with the Lord is destroyed. Thomas Horton, the sin which is not too great to be forsaken is not too great to be forgiven. There would have been no Peter of the book of Acts had it not been for the high priest's courtyard. Think about that. We wouldn't have the Peter we know if it wasn't for the sifting that needed to occur and even his failure. Peter needed to recognize the majesty of Christ and his own depravity. He needed to repent, and he does, all because of God's grace and his forgiveness. And so this morning, when you're struggling with God's forgiveness, perhaps it's something in the past that has weighed like an albatross Perhaps it's something this week or it's an ongoing battle. Remember, Peter was restored and served as a key leader in the early church. When you're struggling with God's forgiveness, remember Peter preached the first sermon recorded in Scripture. When you're struggling with God's forgiveness, remember Peter performs the first miracle in the book of Acts. When you're struggling with God's forgiveness, remember Peter had the opportunity along with John to be the first people imprisoned for Christ and to share the gospel with the frozen chosen, the Sanhedrin. Right? When you're struggling with God's forgiveness, remember Peter was the first to share the gospel with the Gentile, Cornelius. And when you're struggling with God's forgiveness, remember that two of Peter's letters are contained in the New Testament yes Peter needed to be sifted Peter blew it but God's grace was granted and forgiven of Peter the Lord knew that that's why he said what he said to him in the upper room I know it's going to happen And so this morning perhaps you can relate say well you know the Lord can't use me you don't know my past my goodness it couldn't be worse than Peter he denied the Savior. At the very hour, the Savior needed him, supposedly. But the Savior, no, no. The Savior knew Peter needed him. That's why he said, I'm going to allow Satan to sift you. There's a quote at the bottom of your notes by Karsten Theda. And it's just dynamite in his book on the life of Peter. He says, if Peter could not only remain, but properly become the rock of the Christian community after such depths of faithlessness how much greater was and is the hope for ordinary men and women that God would patiently forgive them their sins. It's a dark evening here as Peter and the rest of the disciples, for that matter, betray our Savior and scatter like cockroaches with the lights on. But at the end of the day, don't miss it. God is gracious, God forgives, and God is in control. Father, Thank you for your word. I can't wait to meet Peter. (laughs) This guy, that boy, he can charge hell with a water pistol at one moment; the next minute, he's running with the tail between his legs. And yet, in that whole process, Lord, you refined and shaped this incredible saint, this warrior for you. As you read First and Second Peter, you see a man whose whose life has been transformed a man who understands what it means to be forgiven and understands that you, O Lord, are in charge. Father, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name.